enjoyed that song. Brother Ty, you didn't teach us how to mark five, four times, so you're going to have to teach us how to do that sometime. But that, all the songs have been great. Enjoyed it so much. Glad you're here. I've really loved the singing, loved the fellowship. Can't wait to talk to you for just a few moments of God's words. We continue our study over Old Testament characters, which teaches New Testament principles. And tonight, I want to talk about Hannah. That's Samuel's mom. We'll get this going here. So if you want to turn along with me, it'll be on the board. But 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to take most of our uh, lesson tonight from 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah's story is remarkable to me for many reasons. Hannah was married to Elkanah, who was a Levite during the time of Judges when Eli was the high priest. And I, I think that when we study the life of Hannah, it'll teach us so much about how to go through difficult times in life and still remain devoted to God. There are times when we all experience difficulties in life, when we have seasons of struggle with illness and death and problems in life. Maybe, like Hannah, we struggle with infertility, or maybe we desire to marry and we can't find that godly spouse who will help us glorify God, and life just isn't working out the way that we would expect, and we all experience that from time to time. And if you haven't, then you need to be prepared because you, you will. And when we face those difficult times in life, it's important for us to be prepared for it. And it's important for us to handle those and deal with those in the right way because the difficult times in life can often either bring us closer to God or they can push us further away. And our goal should be to go closer to God. And Hannah shows us how to do that as she struggled with a difficult time in her life and still remained devoted to God. A great example to us. And I, I just can't wait to talk about what a great example this godly woman was and how we can learn how to remain devoted to God in the difficult times in our life. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 to start. Now there was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Joraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. So we're introduced to Hannah, Samuel's mom. Hannah was the wife of Elkanah, and Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, and Hannah didn't. Elkanah was a Levite, and all the males of Israel were required to go up three times a year to the tabernacle during the, the feast days. And the tabernacle at that time was in Shiloh. It wasn't in Jerusalem yet. The temple hadn't been born yet. So three times a year, they were required to go up to Shiloh. It appears that Hannah and Elkanah went up one time a year at least. And in this time where he offered that sacrifice, being a Levite, we'll see that they ate of the sacrifice as part of their, that was something that they were allowed to do. Verses 4 through 8 says, Whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So those who made the offering were allowed to eat of the offering. And Elkanah gave a portion to his wives and family. And he gave a double portion 
to Hannah because he loved Hannah. He felt sorry for Hannah, but Hannah didn't want to receive it. Hannah wasn't, was going through this difficult time and she didn't want to eat. And it was complicated by the fact that her rival, the other wife, Peninnah, who had children, even though Hannah didn't, mocked her because of it and ridiculed her for it. Part of what was valued in the society in those days was, was a woman's ability to give her husband children and, and to carry on the family in that way. And it's a natural desire most of the time for people to want to be a parent. And bearing children was considered an opportunity and a duty and a blessing. And so if you weren't able to have children, you were kind of looked down upon. Dependent certainly took advantage of that and ridiculed and mocked her unjustly. Not only was it considered a great blessing and opportunity, but it was also a blessing and opportunity for women at that time to potentially give birth to the Messiah. Now, this had been prophesied back from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. From the beginning, it was prophesied that of the seed of woman, there would come one who would bruise the head of the serpent. A prophecy of the Messiah from the very beginning. And so, if you had children, if you had male children, you had an opportunity that your child could become the Messiah or one of the ancestors of the Messiah. People wanted to have children in those days, and if you couldn't have children, it was very difficult. And then, to complicate that, the other wife had children and mocked her because of it. Elkanah tried to comfort her, saying, am I not better to you than ten sons? But that wasn't a lot of comfort to her, it didn't seem. She wanted children. That's what she desired, to have children and glorify God through them. Penin is mocking along with the stress of infertility, greatly distressed Hannah. You may have struggled with that, or you may know someone who struggled with that. You know, for a while, I can relate to Hannah in a way, I guess. Uh, we didn't know whether or not we were going to be able to have children. It was many years. We were married for a while, and we didn't have kids for a long time. And then God blessed us with, with, the, with Blakely, and so we're thankful that she's here. And then a few years later, God blessed us with Julia. But before that happened, the stress of wanting to have children and not knowing whether or not that was going to be something that God ever allowed us to have is, is difficult, just not knowing that. And I tend to worry and be a person who wants to fix things, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But, you know, it's stressful. And then the society that they were in and the mocking that she faced, it was difficult for her. and She was going through a troubled time in her life. Says so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give unto the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. What did she do when she was in bitterness of soul and she was in anguish and she was in this difficult situation in life? Her first response was to turn to God in prayer. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but that's just remarkable to me how she went to God and she prayed this prayer. And in this prayer, she vowed that if God would give her a male child, that no razor would come upon his head and that he would be given to God in his service all the days of his life. According to the book of Numbers, the Levites were required all the males from the ages of 25 to 50 to serve at the temple. But Hannah said, this child is going to serve for life. 
and no razor would come upon his head. This is a reference to the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow, for as long as the duration of the vow was, was that a person could not cut their hair, they couldn't drink strong drink, they couldn't touch a dead body, they had to be holy, they had to do certain things that live a, a certain kind of life for the duration of that vow. And Hannah said, Samuel's going to live that life, my child, whoever it would be, for all his life. He would be as a Nazarite from birth. And that's a very powerful commitment that she made on behalf of her child if she were blessed with one. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But just consider that and ponder that for just a moment as we continue on and read verses 12 through 18. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So Eli saw her lips moving in the silent prayer and thinking that she was drunk. He reprimanded her for being drunk. And she said, no, I'm not drunk. I poured out my soul before God in prayer. And we see Eli's response. Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. Think about this for just a moment. What did Eli say? He blessed that prayer that it would come to pass. But he did not say that it would come to pass. He didn't say, God of Israel will grant your petition. He blessed it that it would. And we know that sometimes when we pray to God, God hears our prayers as Christians. But sometimes the answer to our prayer is no. And Hannah, I believe she didn't know whether or not God was going to answer affirmatively to her prayer. Yet, the Bible says, that the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She had peace at this point because she trusted in God and poured out her soul to Him. Continue on the story, starting in verse 19. It says, Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Okada knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. And all the house went up to offer to the Lord. Uh, I said that already. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. So the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. So they returned home. God allowed Elkanah and Hannah to conceive and have a child, and she had this child. She named the child Samuel. Samuel means asked of God. She received the petition that she had, she had asked for, and, and then they were going to go up to the tabernacle and offer the yearly sacrifice. And, and Hannah said, no, I don't want to go yet. Let, me, let him stay here for a while. I'll, I'll, I'll wean him, and once he's weaned, then I'll take him up to the tabernacle and I'll let him stay there. He'll be at the tabernacle forever. And Elkanah agreed to that and said, that's all right, but you need to make sure that you follow through with your commitment. Only let the Lord establish his word. So she stayed and nursed the son until she had weaned him. 
Now when she had weaned him, she took up him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine, brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. So when Hannah had weaned Samuel, she took him along with his bull and his sacrifice and brought him to Eli. And it says the child was young. A lot of scholars believe he might have been around three years old. She brought him to Eli and said, this is the child that I prayed for. You remember me? I prayed and God granted my petition. Now that God has granted my petition, I'm going to fulfill the vow that I made. I have lent him to the Lord. For all his life, he will be lent to the Lord. And they worshiped there. And then from then on, Samuel lived with Eli. And Eli raised him. And he worked there in the temple. And and he worshiped God from that very young age. And he became a great leader and prophet in Israel. Of course, Hannah's story doesn't stop there. There's... More we can say about Hannah, and, and we're, Lord willing, we're going to talk about Hannah some more tomorrow night. We're going to go into the prayer that she prayed in 1 Samuel chapter 2. But I believe there's a lot that we can learn just from examining this first chapter of 1 Samuel about the character of Hannah as she endured this difficult, trying season of her life. Think about your life and the times that you've gone through trials, difficulties, illness, pain, death, loss of loved ones, infertility, whatever it might be. And you find yourself, like Hannah, in anguish and bitterness of soul. How do you react to that? How do we react when we find ourselves in those situations? What did Hannah do? First thing that we see that Hannah did, she wept and she prayed to God. Hannah was so devoted to God that her first response whenever she went through that difficult time in her life was to pray. And often that's the very first thing we should do when we go through similar times in our life. Think about two other women who also didn't have children and wanted to have children. One is Rachel, Jacob's wife, and the other one is Sarah. Sarah was too old and Rachel also struggled with infertility. Rachel, whenever she wasn't able to, go to have a child, she went to Jacob and she said, Give me a child or else I'm going to die. Imagine that if your wife came to you and said, give me a child or else I'm going to die. And Jacob was indignant. He said, how can I, I'm not God that I can allow you to have children or not. You know, that's, I can't do that. Why are you coming to me? Why are you blaming me for this situation? He had already had children with other wives. It wasn't, you know, because of him. She wasn't able to have a child. And, And so he said, I'm not God that I can do that. She blamed someone else and she lashed out at someone else whenever she was going through that difficult time. Sarah and Rachel, both of them actually, whenever they couldn't have children, said to their husbands, why don't you just marry my handmaid and you know you can have children with her and because she's my handmaid, then the children that she has will kind of be my kids too and you can, she can bear them on my knees and, and maybe that's the way that you can, oh, I can kind of have children with you. And that was something that really didn't work out so well, particularly for Sarah. Because when that happened and, and Hagar married Abraham and had a child, then Hagar started to despise her mistress. And Sarah treated her harshly. She lashed out at her. 
So not only did she try to fix the problem herself without relying and trusting in God, but she also lashed out at someone else in her difficult time. And those are three ways that we often, maybe defense mechanisms or just the way that our human nature is, our sinful nature a lot of times is, that when we're struggling with something, when we're going through this difficult time in our life, we're going to blame someone else. We're going to try to fix it ourselves instead of relying on God or we're going to lash out and we're going to be unkind to others. And that's the way that Sarah acted and that's the way that Rachel acted, but that's not the way Hannah acted. Hannah, when she went through a very similar situation to these two women, went to God in prayer. Now what about you? When you go through difficult times in life, are you more like Sarah, more like Rachel, or are you more like Hannah? Do we blame other people? Do we lash out at people? Do we try to take the matters into our own hands and fix it? Or do we turn to God in prayer and give it over to Him? You know, particularly for things that we can't control, it's easy to do that sometimes, to pray. But we don't always do that in the difficult times when we think that we can try to fix it ourselves. And that's, again, I'm a fixer sometimes. I want to try to to handle the problem, whatever it may be. Instead of trusting, relying on God and giving my worries over to Him, I try to worry about it, even things that I can't control. I, I tend to worry sometimes. You know, when Emily first was diagnosed with cancer, uh, and she was expecting Julia, and we didn't know at the time how bad the cancer was. We didn't know whether or not it had spread. We didn't know whether or not she was going to be able to be treated the way that they might have wanted because she was expecting. That was a very difficult time in our life. And, and we prayed, and we prayed a lot. And, and part of that was just because there was nothing we could do. We were in a helpless situation, and there was so little we knew. What else could we do but pray? And, you know, it's easy, I think, in those times when there's really nothing we can do to pray. But what about other times? Times that are not so obvious that we should pray. Is that our first thought? Is that our first reaction to turn to God in prayer? Or do we try to kind of fix it ourselves? I'll give you, a, for instance, it's a very trivial compared to cancer. But a while back, I was in a parking lot and I got ready to drive off in my car. And so I, I have an automatic transmission. I put the car in drive and hit the gas and nothing happened. It revved up, but it did not go. It, it was in drive, but it was acting like it was in neutral. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, this is not good. So I put it in reverse. And I was like, okay, maybe reverse will work. But nope, nothing. It just, it just stayed where it was. It didn't go anywhere. And I thought, okay, great. This is, you know, my transmission shot. I, I'm going to have to get this thing towed spend $3,000 or whatever the price is nowadays and get a brand new transmission. And I don't, where am I going to find $3,000 to fix this car? Those were my thoughts that were going through my head, you know, at that time. And so what did I do in that stressful situation? I turned to God in prayer. Nope, that's not what I did. You know what I turned to? I turned to YouTube. And I looked and... and typed in the information about my vehicle and thought, well, maybe this is some kind of another problem, a common problem that, you know, people have. And found out that it's possible that the, the, the linkage, you know, between the gear shift and the transmission could come loose and pop off and, and you know, moving it won't, you know, do anything because it's unhooked. And so I took apart the center console there in that parking lot and 
And sure enough, the, the little chain thing was dis- disconnected. And I put it back on there, made a makeshift, cl- makeshift clip out of a library card. Don't, you know, sorry, kids. <laughs> That's what I had. And I made a little clip, and I put it in drive, and off I went. And only after I put it back together and drove off, and I was happy and relieved that I didn't have to pay $3,000 to have a new transmission, I thought, you know what I should have done? I should have prayed. I should have gone to God. I should have trusted in Him. Instead of worrying and working myself up and, and getting so distressed, you know, the Bible says be anxious for nothing, and I was anxious. I didn't turn to God in my distressful situation, as minor as it might be. Sometimes that's the way we are. A lot of times it's the case with those little situations like that. We don't think to pray. Sometimes we sing that song, Eric, you left your room this morning. Did you think to pray? And that's convicting to me. You know, I like to sing it because it reminds me to pray. But I don't always pray before I leave the room in the morning. Praying can do so much. We're going to talk more about prayer when we talk about Hannah's prayer tomorrow night and compare that to Mary's prayer in the New Testament. Prayer is such a powerful thing. It's so important in the life of a Christian. The Bible tells in 1 Thessalonians 5 or 17, pray without ceasing. Constantly praying to God. Constantly having a prayerful attitude. Never stopping. Regularly praying and turning to Him. God wants us to trust Him and turn to Him when we have problems in life. When my children have problems, you know, I mean, as much as a five-year-old and one-year-old can have problems, I want them to turn to me. And they think they have problems. And they turn to me, and that's their natural reaction. They cast their cares upon their parents. Usually it's Emily. They want mama. But that's a natural reaction. Whenever they're distressed, whenever they're upset, they want mama to take away the pain. Is that our reaction whenever we go through those difficult times in life to turn to God and cast our cares upon Him and trust in Him? The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, verses 6-7, through Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. God cares for you. You are His child. He wants you to turn to Him. He wants you to trust Him and cast your cares upon Him when you go through those difficult times in life. Not... Relying on yourself, lifting yourself up with pride, but humbling yourselves, casting everything before God, an absolute surrender to your Father. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that could be so difficult to do sometimes, to give up that anxiety and turn to God and trust in Him. But if we have the kind of relationship with our Father, just like a little child does with their parents, that we trust them, we trust Him completely. Praying is often the first step in letting go of the anxiety that we have in our life and the difficulty. And if that's not the kind of relationship that you have with God or I have with God, then I encourage you to develop it. And one of the best ways you can do that is by communicating with your Father. We say this all the time. I do anyway. In prayers and sermons, it seems like this is something that I talk about all the time, studying and praying. We communicate to God in our prayers, and He speaks to us through His Word. We have that open line of communication with our Father, and we cast our cares upon Him, and we turn to Him, and it's a natural response because it's a habit. And we lay down that pathway in our brain, in our mind, whenever I'm struggling, whenever I have anxiety, my first thought is to turn to God in prayer. And just with any habit, that pathway 
we build those connections and it gets laid down again and again and again. It becomes a super highway and that's the way that we naturally react. Is that the case in your life? And if it's not, why not? What are we going to do? Whenever we're distressed, be like Hannah. Turn to God in prayer. Another thing that Hannah did during her time of difficulty is that she made a vow that she would give up her male child to the service of God if God granted her a child and blessed her with one. <clears throat> and I want you to consider this concession for just a moment. Hannah asked that God would give her a child, and that's what she wanted so badly. She wanted to have a child from God. But she said that if you give me this child... I'm going to give him up. I'm going to let him be raised by another. I'm going to give him to the service of the temple. I'm not going to be able to enjoy this relationship with my child like I like it normally would because I'm going to give him over to you. Whenever she weaned Samuel and gave him up to live in the temple, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 2, verses 18-19, but Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Looks like she only came up there once a year. Only saw this child that she, she longed for so much one time a year. When we consider that, we, we see the magnitude of this vow that she made to God. She was so devoted to God that she was willing to give up the one thing that she desired of God. Now, wait a second, how does that, why? Why would she give up what she desired? I believe that she wanted to be a mother, that she wanted to have that relationship with her child, and she wanted to enjoy the love and bond that comes with, with having a child, but more than that, she wanted to have a child so that that child could glorify God. She was willing to give up that child to the service of God, even though that's the thing that she desired. And I want you to think back about our own situations, the times we find ourselves in trials and distress and difficulties in life. What is our first thought? When I'm in pain, oftentimes what I want is I want relief from the pain. And I turn to God and I ask God, relieve me of this pain. Relieve me of this difficulty. Help me in this situation. And I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with doing that. But first of all and foremost, my commitment should be not to myself, but to God. I must remember my purpose and not get so focused in this life and on things that I might enjoy and selfish that I lose sight of the fact that my number one goal in life should be to glorify God. Let the glory of the Lord be the passion of the church. Let it be the passion of my life. That should be my goal. Sometimes, whenever I'm in a distressful situation, all I want is to be relieved of that, and I, and I act very selfish, and my prayers to God are selfish. Is that the case in your life? James chapter 4, verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. We need to realize that sometimes when we pray to God, God says no, and He may not take away the pain that we have, and... and that really shouldn't be our goal in life, to take away the stress and the difficulty and the pain in our life. Our number one goal should be to glorify God. Jesus, <clears throat> whenever He was about to be crucified, didn't want to have to suffer what He suffered. 
He didn't want to have to go to the cross. He didn't want to have to suffer that pain and that torment and be separated from his God so that he had to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he bore our sins upon him. Not his own sins, for he had none but ours. He didn't want to have to endure all that. And so he prayed in Matthew 26. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And then what does he say? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He didn't want to suffer. And he said, if there's any way, if it is at all possible, if there's any other way to do this, let this cup pass from me. But in the end, I'll do it if that's the only way, if that's what you desire, because it's not about what I want. It's about your will. It's not my will, it's yours. Hannah trusted in God and submitted to Him and submitted to His will, even not knowing whether or not God would give her what she desired. And she said that if He did, he was, she was going to give Him up fully to serving God. Not her will, not her desires, but the glory of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow down before this image that Nebuchadnezzar had made, and, and they refused to do that. And they were threatened with a fiery furnace, and, and they said, if you don't bow down or you don't worship this, this idol at this appointed time, and you're going to be cast into the fiery furnace. And you know what they said? They said, God is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. We know that He can save us. But even if He doesn't, we're still not going to bow down and worship this false idol because we serve the Lord and Him only do we serve. They knew that God was able to save them, but they didn't know if He was going to, for sure. But they were still devoted to God. Jesus was devoted to God no matter what. Hannah was devoted to God and was willing to give up her child. And she went her way with joy and relief from her pain, relief with her distress, because she trusted fully in Him, not knowing whether or not He was going to grant her request. She didn't know, but she still completely devoted herself to God. Is that our attitude in the distressful times in our life? Not knowing what the outcome will be, not knowing whether or not we'll receive relief from our pain, but it's still being okay because in the end, we've given our cares over to God and it's about His will and His will be done. Can we honestly say that that's our mindset or are we too often selfish in our prayers and not saying your will be done, but rather God relieve me of this pain. Take stock of how you pray and make sure that it's not selfish, but devoted to God's cause. And finally, I want to talk about the fact that Hannah found joy in giving her cares over to God, again, not knowing whether or not God would grant her request. 1 Samuel 1 verse 18 says, And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She wasn't sad anymore. She went and ate. She truly had faith in God that no matter what happened, even if God did grant her request or if He didn't, it was all going to be okay. And she didn't have to be sad. Why? Because she trusted completely in God and gave her cares over to Him. And she could rejoice in God even in the distressful time in her life. What a great example to us. An attitude that we can have 
Do you and I still have joy when we find ourselves in those difficult seasons? If we trust in God like we should, we won't have to worry because even if we don't get relief from whatever it is that we're struggling with, even if we have to go to the grave in pain and sorrow, we know that it's all going to be okay in the end. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. I believe this is teaching us no matter what happens in this life, we can still rejoice in God. We can still have faith, devotion, peace because of our next life. It's all going to be all right. Even if we're in pain, even if we have sad times, good times, we can always have joy in God. I'm not going to belabor this point because Lord willing, we're going to talk about it on Sunday evening a little bit longer. But even beyond this, can we truly say that we rejoice when we suffer, knowing that God may have a bigger plan in mind than we can even imagine. That's the attitude that Paul had. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-10 through 10 says, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn of the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I'll rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, I mean, that's, that's just like, man, that's like next level. <laughs> I mean, not only... Are you rejoicing in the Lord in your difficult times? But you're rejoicing because of the difficult times. That you, through your weakness, show the power and strength of God. And that it teaches you to rely on God. And it teaches you to look toward your reward. And it teaches you not to be so focused on the things of this life that we might enjoy and the pleasures, but to long for the next one. Rejoice. Whenever we're distressed, is that our attitude? Hannah went her way and she was no longer sad and she didn't know whether or not she was going to go the rest of her life not having a child. I don't know what Paul's infirmity was. I don't know what this thorn of flesh, I don't guess it really matters. Whatever it was, he trusted in God and he was able to rejoice in that difficult time in his life because it showed the strength and power of God and it helped him rely on God so that he wouldn't be lifted up in pride, so that he would have the proper mindset and attitude and humility to say, it's not what I want, it's about you, God. It's about glorifying you. What a great example to us. Jesus had that attitude. Hannah had that attitude. Do we have that attitude? Do you have that attitude? Whenever we go through stressful times in life, and if not, I encourage you to strive to have the mindset that it's not about me. And it's not about my pleasure. It's not about the things that I might want. Those things are great and I should be thankful to God for them. But in the end, it's about God. It's about what He wants. It's about His glory. And even if I have to suffer pain, I can still rejoice in God because of what He has done for me. Redeeming me from my sins. Giving me the hope of a home in heaven and all the things that come with it, all the blessings that we can't even begin to describe. Next time you find yourself in distress in life, or maybe you're facing something 
like that today, I encourage you to look at the example of people like Hannah, of course, our ultimate example of Jesus. Turn to Him in prayer. Don't rely on yourself. Don't lift yourself up and think you can fix it. Don't turn to YouTube. Turn to God. Trust in Him. Put your faith completely in Him, your devotion fully to Him so that you can say, it's not about what I want. It'd be great if you could relieve me of this, but nevertheless, your will be done. And I'm willing, to, even if I have to suffer, to let your will be done so that you may be glorified, just like the attitude that Hannah had, and rejoice in God, even in the difficult times. And let the hope of a home in heaven sustain you and encourage you to get through those times with joy in your heart. And it's a great blessing, a great peace that we can have in God. I encourage you to implement that plan in your life. Maybe you've struggled with that. Maybe your relationship with God isn't like you should. Maybe you don't pray without ceasing and, and you've lost that closeness with your Father. Renew that relationship with Him. Turn to Him. He cares for you. Cast your cares upon Him. We can help you this evening. If you want the prayers of the church, we can pray with you. We can encourage you. But I encourage you to make a change in your life. Devote yourself fully to God like Hannah did and turn to Him during the difficult times and, and you can have joy. If you're not a Christian this evening, I encourage you to avail yourself of the relationship you can have with a loving Father who cares for you, who sent His Son to die for you, to give you the hope of eternal life with Him forever. And you can look forward to that to sustain you through whatever it is that you may be facing in your life. Don't you want that joy, that peace that passes all understanding? You can have that tonight. Because of the sacrifice that Christ made for you, you can have your sins washed away. If you'll follow the steps necessary to become a child of God, you can have that relationship. God can become your father, truly. You'll be adopted son or daughter of God, having your sins washed away, a relationship with Him that can last for eternity. And we can help you do that tonight. So we offer that invitation. You want the prayers of the church? You want to become a Christian? Come forward. Let us help you as we stand and sing.